to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. Hello! Welcome back to the show. I just got home. Well, not just. It's been a few hours. I got home today from Portland. I was in Portland this past weekend for the NTA conference. It was so much fun. I feel really exhausted. So many people, so many things. I ate so much food. It was amazing. But I wanted to record this podcast while my emotions and memories were still as fresh as they could be. Although, probably not optimally fresh because I could use a good night's rest, but it's fine. I wanted to record this podcast to give a little recap of the whole NTA conference for those of you who couldn't make it because I did this last year. Well, Kara and I did this last year on Straight Up Paleo, and I know it helped people out a lot, and a lot of you guys love when I do recaps of different conferences or events I go to in case you couldn't make it, and it's definitely not the same thing as going in person. It's an irreplaceable experience, but at least I can relay some of the information that I learned or things that stood out to me slash share my thoughts on the whole experience. So the NTA conference is the annual conference put on by the Nutritional Therapy Association. And if you don't already know, to become a nutritional therapy practitioner an NTP or nutritional therapy consultant, an NTC, you go through the NTA, which surprisingly is a question people ask all the time. They ask, what school did you go through to become an NTP? And there's only one school. So when people ask me that, I know they didn't use their Google skills. Um, There's only one, there's only one way to become an NTP or an NTC. You got to go through the NTA. Anyways, every year at the NTA conference, well, first of all, it's always the first weekend in March, and it's always in Portland, well, I guess not always in Portland. It's in that area, like last year it was in Vancouver, Washington, which is basically, I mean, it's 10 minutes from Portland. It's always in that area. And the conference is three-ish days, about three days, a bunch of incredible speakers who are in the health and wellness space, and a big expo with all of the incredible sponsors. So you get to see new companies, new and old companies and products, and just reunite with other nutrition nerds. You do not have to be an NTP or an NTC to go to the NTA conference. Anybody can go and buy a ticket. It just tends to be mostly... NTPs and NTCs for a few reasons. First of all, obviously because it's put on by the NTA. So we hear about it and everybody wants to hang out with their classmates and 
just anyone who's in the NTA because the NTA is like a huge family and everyone knows each other. Also, because we get continuing education units and we need a certain amount of units every year to keep our status. And you can get all of your units at the NTA conference. I believe all of them. Don't quote me on that. Anyways, it's a ton of fun, not only because, I mean, I love going and hearing all the speakers and I love going to the expo floor and finding new products, supporting brands I already know and love, meeting with founders, and of course, seeing so many other fellow NTPs who are amazing and meeting with other people, meeting people who I didn't know know me and know me. That's always awesome when people who read my blog or listen to my podcast or just follow me on social media say hi. I love to meet people that way. And of course, exploring Portland, because if you know me, you know that when I travel, I plan around food and I have a motto, never have a bad meal. And every single meal I have when I'm on travel, it's it's important. It's got to be good. So I wanted to go to all my favorite restaurants, fit it all in. And Portland is one of the best foodie cities ever, if you didn't know that. And I've been there a few times I love it more and more every single time. So I ended up going a day early just to have a day. Actually, I went like a day and a half early just to have extra time to explore and spend some time in the city because once the conference starts, you're you're at the conference from like 8.30 to 5 every day and it's tiring and there's a lot of people. So I went up the day before and spent the day exploring. I hung out with my friend Michelle Strand from Well by Michelle you might know her on Instagram. We hung out and went to all the food places. We went to Cacao, Kira's Bake Shop, Cultured Caveman. We went to Harlow. And then later on the weekend, we went to more places. We went to Jewel Nutrition, which is a new place I found. That's incredible. So, so good. We went to, where else? Dick's Kitchen, of course. Eben Bean. All the foodie places. If you want to know my favorite places to eat in Portland, just search for Portland on my website, ChristinaRiceWellness.com. And I have two different posts that talk about different restaurants and shops I like to go in. Oh, cacao. Cacao is probably my favorite store in Portland. It's all chocolate, and I got far too much 100% dark chocolate. I'll be doing full reviews on them. Don't worry. (laughs) I ate a lot of them already. Um, But you can get 100% drinking chocolate there, like literally just straight 100% cacao with water, and it tastes... it's It's like somebody just melted a chocolate bar, and you're drinking it. So pretty epic. Highly recommend. But if you want my full list of places to go, just search on my website. And I'm also going to make just a an easy post. I'm going to make a blog post sometime this week with like bullet points of my favorite places to go in Portland. So it's easy as a travel reference guide. I'm feeling like I should do that with all of my favorite cities, my favorite foodie cities. Just like here's the city, bullet points of the places I like to eat and visit. So it's easy for you to follow because I do a lot of research before I go to new cities because I want to make sure I go to the best paleo restaurants. Anyways, I was staying at this cute little Airbnb that was like a little bungalow behind this guy's house and 
if you follow me on Instagram, watch my stories, you probably already heard this, but I was very impressed because his lights in his house, I could see inside. They were all red at night and then they were all blue during the day. So instead of wearing blue blockers, he literally just put all of his house lights as red. That is ultimate biohacking. And he ended up, I ended up meeting him at the end of the trip. The lock on the the place I was staying at broke, so I had to ask him to fix it. Anyways, so I met him and I asked him, I was like, so why are your are your lights red? Because I always just assume that other people don't even know about the problems with blue light exposure and I just kind of, you know, go cautiously and he goes, oh, you know, it's just really tough on your eyes and it prevents you from sleeping when you're seeing blue light. So I just made my lights red. And then he goes, they change, they can change to any color. And I was like, wow, I'm very impressed. I don't think that's representative of all of Portland, though. I guess I just lucked out with an Airbnb host who just really wants to support his melatonin production and have an optimal circadian rhythm. So, I mean, I am here for it. But let's get into what the actual conference was like. I'll start off by just going over some of the products I saw on the expo floor. Let's just start with the expo floor and then I'll get into all of the speakers and do a little recap of each of those. So one super exciting thing was I ran into Karan Krishnan who has been on this podcast before. If you haven't heard that episode with Karan, listen to episode 124, everything you need to know about probiotics. That is one of my most downloaded episodes, a ton of important information about probiotics and gut health, and one that you probably will want to take notes on. Because I think now more and more people are becoming well aware of the fact that the key to overall health is having a healthy gut microbiome and probiotics can really help with that. The problem is that there are a lot of misunderstandings around probiotics and there are a lot of scams out there in the probiotic market. A lot of people are taking the probiotic they pick up at the store every day thinking they are doing good for the gut, but they are often either just throwing their money down the drain, making things worse with their gut health or a combination of both. So I want to let you know more about what you're looking for. What you're looking for is a spore probiotic formulation. The spore-based probiotics will survive the harsh gastric environment of the stomach and they're gonna arrive completely alive in the intestines because most probiotics on the market, studies have shown this, don't actually survive the harsh stomach environment. So they're not actually a true probiotic. You're just ingesting dead bacteria. That's why I love Just Thrive Probiotic and Antioxidant because it's a spore-based probiotic that will arrive completely alive in the intestines. And every time I get clients, family, friends to switch over to Just Thrive, they notice a huge difference in their overall health and how their guts feel. Just Thrive Probiotic does not have to be refrigerated. I know a lot of people think that the best probiotics should be in the refrigerated section, and it's actually the opposite, because if they need to be refrigerated, that means they're pretty sensitive. They're not going to survive at room temperature, right? So what happens when you swallow them and they enter into a 98.6 degree body, and they're trying to survive through that harsh gastric environment that I mentioned 
before. They're not going to make it. Just Thrive strains are very stable and will definitely make it. They're actually so stable that you can cook and bake with them up to 455 degrees, which is pretty impressive. So if you want, you can put a few capsules into a batch of cookies. And I would go with some sugar-free cookies from my blog or one of my sugar-free dessert ebooks because you don't want the negative effects of sugar if you're going to take a probiotic, you know? The other common misconception regarding probiotics is that people think they just want as many strains, as many probiotic cells as possible. But it's not about how many probiotic cells are in the product. It's about how many effective cells are getting to the intestines alive. No published studies show that a higher CFU count is better. What we really need to focus on is the quality, not the quantity. And studies have actually shown that just Thrive Probiotic creates a 30% favorable shift in the microbiome by using just 1 billion CFUs per day. That's a 30 trillion organism change by just 1 billion spores. And what is this probiotic doing? Well, the spores act like little gut police. They're going to arrive into the intestines, look around at the microbiome, and help to eliminate any pathogens and toxins while also producing compounds and nutrients that will help grow our good bacteria. Also, one of the strains in Just Thrive actually produces RDA levels of certain antioxidants like alpha and beta carotene, astaxanthin, zeaxanthin, and a few others once it arrives into the intestines. There are strains that also produce vitamin K2, methylated B vitamins, and a full array of digestive enzymes. So you basically become your very own nutrient factory thanks to the strains in Just Thrive. The strains in Just Thrive also have the ability to greatly improve the amount of short-chain fatty acids we produce, especially butyrate, which I'm sure you've heard of, great for gut health. And when you have a high increase in short-chain fatty acid production, this will give you up to 40% or even more. These strains are going to help create a metabolic shift in the body. So you're going to store less fat. You're going to burn more fat. You're going to have better insulin sensitivity. You're going to feel satiated more easily, and you're going to get reduced gut and systemic inflammation. The strains in Just Thrive also can help to modulate the immune system. The spores help to sort of teach your immune system how to detect and attack those pathogens and toxins in the body. And also, Just Thrive helps to upregulate the T regulatory system, which is going to help to suppress any unfavorable immune responses like allergies and food sensitivities, which are on the rise nowadays. Since 80% of our immune system is found in the gut, it's really important to get a high-quality probiotic like Just Thrive so that you maintain overall optimal health. And of course, probiotics are key when it comes to leaky gut, but Just Thrive is the only probiotic that has been shown in clinical trials to actually heal leaky gut in 30 days. Leaky gut is the root cause of almost every major chronic illness that we deal with in the Western world, like cancer, autoimmune diseases, dementia, heart disease, diabetes. This is something that we talked about extensively during the conference. So it's really important that we help to heal up that leaky gut, heal and seal the gut. 
Probiotics are really important if you're looking to reduce your stress levels, balance out your mood, if you're an athlete, if you need to recover, if you are looking for weight loss, if you have joint pain, any type of inflammation, if you struggle with allergies, if you have nutrient deficiencies despite eating a healthy diet, all of these things and more can be helped with a high quality probiotic. So that's why I love Just Thrive. So if you want to try it out for yourself, just go to bit.ly slash thrive probiotic CRW. And you can use my code Christina15 for 15% off. So again, that's bit.ly slash thrive probiotic CRW. And my code Christina15 will get you 15% off. So that's C H R I S T I N A 1 5. And all of that will be in the show notes. Like I mentioned, there are a few things that were really drilled into our heads over the weekend at the conference. And one was definitely the importance of gut health as the root of overall health. And I mean, I think by now it's kind of old news how widespread leaky gut is. And this is just something, I mean, basically everyone I meet needs needs to um, work on their gut health. So a high quality probiotic is really, really important for this. And I would much rather you take no probiotic than take a crappy one from the store, just so you know. <laughs> but I ran into Karan and he was telling me about some cool new research he's been doing. So would love to have him back on the show soon to talk more about that. I love to geek out with him. Okay, I'm going to imagine in my head the whole expo floor. I'm imagining I was in that room with Karan and then also in that room was Honey Mama's Chocolate, which... I mean, I'm not new to Honey Mamas. I found Honey Mamas first when I first moved to Los Angeles when I was in college. And if you've never had Honey Mamas chocolate, I'm not sure what to tell you other than it's crack. It is so good. And I definitely ate a full bar's worth from the samples because samples kill me um, in the best way. But I bought four bars, so I felt fine about it. But yeah, Honey Mamas is there. Treat Yourself Skincare was there. I really love their skincare. I use their masks all the time. They have some great products. They also have um, a charcoal toothpaste. It's all natural, non-toxic skincare. And other personal care products, they have deodorant. Um, and I picked up a facial oil that I haven't tried yet. They have a facial cleanser, but I've been using the masks a lot and really, really love them. So, and I, I love the, the founder. So, that was in there. I'm trying to think of what else was in that room. Those are kind of like the main things in that room. And then who else? Bonafide Provisions. Bone Broth was there. I love Bonafide. Um, I'm walking down. Okay, there was this new tea place. I found Tea Hunters. Um, their tea was so delicious. And I asked them what the fruit flavors are and the natural flavors are in in their tea because there are some that have flavors and it's actually from like it's not sketchy it's legit um so i bought some of those about the rhubarb and i think like a hibiscus one from them really really great tea um and i hadn't heard of that company before there was the um they have like a meat station where they serve this alpaca sausage oh my god I die for this. They have like eggs, sauerkraut, and sausage every day at the at the conference. It was so good. And then Jimmy Moore had a booth right there for his book, Real Food Keto, with his wife, Christine Moore. You guys have heard the Moores on this podcast before, so always great chatting with Jimmy. 
he is going on a six-month sabbatical starting in September, which I'm super excited um, about for him. Like, he's going off the grid for six months because he needs, like, some time because we were talking about how stress is at the root of so many health issues. And for him, he's like, I know that's what the issue is for him. He's like, I need to de-stress. I work, I'm a work. He's like, I'm a workaholic. And I think a lot of us in this space feel the same. I don't know how Jimmy pumps out all the content he pumps out. Like that man has so many books published and he has so many podcasts out every single week and he's always doing a million things. He's on Instagram live all the time. He is, I mean, he's a true businessman um, and he works nonstop. So I think that's really impressive that he's taking six months off and it makes a statement. And I think it's really going to show people how important it is to take that time for self-care and for de-stressing because not enough people are paying attention to that and they want to focus so much on their food and their macros and their supplements and their exercise and they'll biohack. But even if you do all those things, if you are still so chronically stressed, you will not reach your health goals. So I'm really excited for him to do that. He's going to do it with Christine, take six months off. I mean, that is, it's going to be interesting for sure. So I'm fully behind him. Um, and great chatting with them. Like, honestly, sweetest people in the world. Okay, who else? Obviously went to the Peely Nuts booth. And Jason, the founder, is just the nicest guy and so hilarious. And he'll, he goes, where's my machete? Like, let me chop open a Peely Nut. And he shows you. He is just so full of life. I'm obsessed with him. And I got the new hazelnut cacao flavor that... you. I, it tastes like Nutella. Like, it just tastes like Nutella. And I ate the whole jar before, I mean, I finished it before I came home. I finished it within, like, two days. It's, it's very dangerous. Um, highly recommend, because, and I got that one because I already have all the other flavors. There's a pumpkin spice one that's delicious. Their classic one's delicious. Peely nuts are a really great keto-friendly nut. Really high in fat, low in carbs. There's nothing really like it. They're kind of a softer nut. Um, like, you know how macadamia nuts are a little bit on the softer side? They don't taste like a macadamia nut, but they're, like, softer like that. They're, like, hard. Um, and the nut butter, it it's just so delicious because it tastes like a sweetener, even if there's not a sweetener. The, the hazelnut cacao one does have a little bit of sweetener. It has, like, I think monk fruit in it or monk fruit and erythritol maybe, but I mean, YOLO. So that was really great. Got some peely nuts. He also has a hot sauce and then I got the nut butter. I bring those packets with me everywhere. So that was awesome. And then saw Daniel from Gold Nugget Ghee. If you guys don't already use Gold Nugget Ghee, it is the best ghee. So delicious. You can just tell by the color and he has so many cool flavors. So I bought a new one that I hadn't had yet, the turmeric lion's mane. No, I'm not kidding. There's lion's mane and turmeric. It tastes so good. And I like it because you could use that on something sweet or savory. So delicious. I was torn between that and the turmeric ginger. That one also tasted really good too. And the other ones I have. So the classic one is great. I love the goat, the goat ghee. So good. The yak ghee is amazing. Lavender vanilla. If you want something like sweeter, that's great. If you, if you love cinnamon roasted veggies and do like the lavender vanilla ghee, uh, divine. Or put it on a sweet potato. So good. 
Also, his chocolate keys are amazing. He has a few different chocolate key flavors. There's just so many flavors. I can hardly keep up. Um, so you can get all of those at goldnuggetgee.com or be like me and pick some up while you're at the NTA conference. Also stop by the Shop AIP booth. Shop AIP is a great resource for anybody who is looking for AIP-friendly like snacks or packaged goods. I like to go on there um, just to find new products because they have cool new products. If you want good marshmallows, look up the sweet Apricity. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but they have the best vanilla marshmallows. Oh my God. And Tiger Nut Butters on there. The Power Balls from Paleo Angel are really good. They just have a, a big collection of products to make going AIP friendly and easy to do. There's also the Paleo on the Go booth. I love the team at Paleo on the Go. They're so nice and I love Paleo on the Go meals. I always have some in my freezer. They're so delicious and it's like making comfort food healthy and paleofied. And everything from Paleo on the Go is AIP. So you just get these meals delivered to you and like you can just microwave them or put them in the oven and they're ready to go. And they are like luxurious, indulgent. They also had, they have really good uh, desserts too but and obviously regular food like I just had their chicken bacon alfredo the other night before it, I mean so freaking good um I've never had a bad meal from them they have some really good pot pies as well but they had out their cookies and they're kind of known for their cookies they had their snickerdoodle and their carob chunk cookie which is like their chocolate chip cookie but with carob because it's aip friendly um honestly I can't pick between them they're both amazing but yeah love paleo on the go for on the go meals and then let me think who else did I see primarily pure was there of course it was great to meet the team at primarily pure I love them and they have just amazing products I was telling Katie from primarily pure that right before I came to Portland I was freaking out because I thought I had run out of my everything spray and my dry shampoo but my order came in like the day I left, which was awesome. And something I found out from her that I didn't know was that, cause I was talking about how I always alternate between their charcoal deodorant and their blue tansy. And then I was sad that they stopped selling their lavender sensitive deodorant. Cause if you have been using Primal Leaf here for a while, like I have, they used to have all the regular deodorants and then their sensitive formula. And she told me, I didn't know this, that they had actually reformulated everything, so everything is their sensitive formula. So all of their deodorants are basically sensitive, which means they're just made with way less baking soda because baking soda all often makes people react. So I was super excited to hear about that. And if you want to shop Primally Pure, my discount code increased from 10% to 15% throughout March. So my code wellness. 15 will get you 15% off. That's W-E-L-L-N-E-S-S-1-5 for 15% off of Primly Pure. There were a lot of other booths. Those are just the main ones I'm remembering right now that stood out to me. Um, there were a ton of supplement companies, Biotics, of course. The Kresser Institute was downstairs. The, oh, there's, of course, Mount Capra. All of their goat milk products, they have really good goat ghee. And then they also always give out all of their like whey protein like goat whey proteins and like goat proteins and I never try them but then I decided to like try one I'm not someone who can do whey in general like regularly but I've definitely noticed that my tolerance has 
improved and now I can have it if it's very high quality it's like if I have it once I don't usually get a reaction um and I tend to do better with goat products anyway so I was just curious and I tried the chocolate protein and I'm just I kind of liked it kind of not sure because it definitely tasted like goat milk but it also had chocolate it was like kind of weird I'm still trying to figure it out I'll keep you updated on how I, how I feel. It was like goat milk. It was like chocolate milk, goat milk, chocolate goat milk. It was real. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm still trying to process it. Um, but yeah, Imperfect Produce was there. Natural Grocers. Those are kind of the main ones. So now that I've covered the expo floor, let's get into the speakers and what they all covered. I'm gonna try and get through as much as I can, but I'm gonna kind of go through each person and the main points that I would like to share with you. Obviously, I can't share everything, but this will give you a general idea of what everyone that I heard talked about. And I took notes that probably could have been better, but, you know, you live and you learn. And the theme of this year was roots. So we started off by talking about the roots, I suppose, of this health crisis we have on our hands. And the first speaker was Dr. Tirana Lodog. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name, but Dr. Lodog. And she did a talk called The Greening of Medicine, Holism, and Healthcare. This was actually one of my favorite talks. It really got, I think, everyone sort of amped up about how important it is that we address this health crisis we have in our hands. So she talked a lot about how illness used to be acute. We used to struggle with acute health issues, and that has transitioned over time into chronic health issues, which is what we're struggling with now, you know, Western medicine is really good at taking care of these acute symptoms. But when it comes to chronic disease, the Western medicine approach doesn't really help prevent that or take care of it long term. So as science advanced and technology advanced, and we got all excited that we could, you know, fix X, Y, and Z immediately with our new medicine. And we were then able to live longer because we could avoid these acute problems. Over time, we forgot about prevention and how to deal with long term health issues, not just okay, I broke my leg, what do I do now? So she talked a lot about all of the other aspects of health that many people like to avoid. So she talked a lot about BPAs and just endocrine disruptors in general that are hurting our health, causing cancer, leading to infertility and all these other health issues. So she talked about BPAs a lot and gave examples and studies about how prenatal exposure to BPAs led to higher rates of anxiety, depression, and cortisol, specifically in females. So there was a difference between the male and female response. And she talked about just all the different effects that these endocrine disruptors in our environment can have on our health from impaired reproduction to neurodevelopment issues to thyroid issues, slow metabolism, cancer, as I mentioned. And she threw up a few slides that got everyone's attention. So she was talking about one study that looked at newborns and found an average of 200 industrial chemicals and pollutants 
in the umbilical cord blood of newborns. So of those 287 chemicals that they detected, 180 caused cancer. 217 are toxic to the brain and nervous system, and 208 cause birth defects or abnormal development in animal tests. So this is just a testament to the fact that what we are exposed to in our environment goes into our bodies. Like we are affected by these things that people feel like they can't, they can't feel it, but it's doing something at a cellular level in the body and affecting babies, which is really, really eye-opening. She also talked a lot about glyphosate, which is, of course, a hot topic. In 2015, the International Agency for Research on Cancer actually reclassified glyphosate as Category 2A, which means probably carcinogenic to humans. Um, And she was talking about different studies that showed in pregnant women, those with the highest urinary glyphosate levels also tended to have the shortest gestational lengths. And studies have shown that people who consume conventional products, consume conventional produce in their diets versus organic produce have significantly higher urine glyphosate levels. So this is getting into our bodies. She also touched on the importance of omega-3s and how women supplementing with 200 milligrams per day of Fish oil were actually at a 42% reduction in early preterm birth risk. And she was really adamant that everybody needs to be getting omega-3s in their diet just because the research is just kind of indisputable in terms of how much it can do for our overall health. And she was actually arguing that it should be mandatory that every pregnant woman is supplementing with DHA. But she also obviously was talking about how I mean, it's optimal to get this from whole food sources, but so much of our fish supply is contaminated. So giving resources to how you could figure out which fish is safe to consume. And she gave a website recommendation. If you just search Purdue Fish for Your Health, and that's P-U-R-D-U-E, you'll find the link that she recommended you check out. She was also talking about just the amount of indoor residential insecticides and how the more indoor residential insecticides there are, this increases the risk of childhood leukemia and lymphoma and also has a correlation with brain tumors. And she was just talking about how many people don't realize how many insecticides are sprayed in homes, at schools, and all these places where we are. And so we really need to protect our kids. And she went on to talk about a number of different herbicides and pesticides. We talked more about glyphosate and its links with infertility and the problems with soy and how so much soy is GMO. She was talking about an herbicide called paraquat dichloride herbicide that's actually banned in 32 different countries, but not ours. And that it's actually been linked with a 200 to 600% increased risk of Parkinson's. And she gave a lot of suggestions to how can we combat this and looking at studies that show when people go organic in just one week, there is a huge noticeable difference in the amount of pesticides circulating in their, in their bodies. So 
going organic really does help. So I'm going to read off a list of some of the things she suggested. She said using fresh food rather than processed food, reducing the use of foods and beverages in cans, plastic containers, including for food storage, minimizing the use of personal care products like moisturizers, cosmetics, shower gels, and fragrances, or at least paying attention to the ingredients, hashtag beauty counter, Um, minimizing the purchase of newly produced household furniture, fabrics, nonstick frying pans, and cars, especially while pregnant or nursing, avoiding the use of garden, household, pet pesticides, or fungicides. This includes fly sprays, strips, rose sprays, and flea powders. Avoiding paint fumes, only taking painkillers when absolutely necessary, and do not assume the safety of products based on the absence of harmful chemicals in their ingredients list or the tag natural herbal or otherwise because these are often marketing scams and really those labels don't mean a thing so she threw out a bunch of numbers about how nutrient deficient so many of us are 90 million americans are vitamin d deficient 30 million are deficient in vitamin b6 18 million have b12 deficiency about 16 million have low vitamin c We have women 25 to 39 overall have borderline iodine insufficiency and much more. But I think all this information is just really eye-opening because the truth is that even if you're eating a nutrient-dense diet, we often are still deficient in things just because of the state of our soil, our food, our guts. And this also led into a discussion of gut health and nutrition, but she was talking a lot about about how a lot of people have nutrient deficiencies because of low bile production or because of low stomach acid, which we know. And she talked a lot about PPIs and was really going after PPIs. Um, She talked about how there's an 80% increase in B12 deficiency after 10 months on a PPI. And how PPIs just have a really high risk of different drug interactions, adverse effects like C. diff, pneumonia, um, really low magnesium, even fractures, and just how PPIs are really connected with dysbiosis and SIBO specifically, leaky gut, which we know so many people are struggling with. She actually said that PPIs have a greater effect on the microbiota than antibiotics, which everybody was like, (gasps) gasp. So she she really was going after PPIs and was basically saying that you always need probiotics alongside a PPI just because PPIs do such a number on your gut and she says nobody should ever be on a PPI without a probiotic. Then we moved into a discussion of diet and mental health. She was talking about how stress levels and anxiety levels have increased so much recently showing a lot of crazy charts and She was talking about how prolonged elevation of stress hormones can actually shorten the lifespan by 15 years. And we have seen a 400% increase in antidepressants in the last 30 years. That is a lot. And just looking at diets in general, there have been studies showing that those who consume a higher glycemic load diet, so we're looking at the foods higher in starches and carbohydrates, that's going to correlate with 
let's see, 38% higher score for depressive symptoms, 55% higher score for total mood disorder, 26% higher score for fatigue compared to a low glycemic load diet. And remember, this is not talking about like higher carb paleo versus lower carb paleo. We're talking about the state of the general standard American diet, which is very high in the glycemic load, eating a lot of refined carbohydrates, and how this is really contributing to the mental health crisis we have on our hands. She moved into the importance of exercise for mental health and also socializing, and I posted this one on my social media because I loved this slide, but it said that there were 148 studies she was looking at on the effects of social isolation on health, And those found that social isolation is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, as dangerous as being an alcoholic, as harmful as never exercising, and twice as dangerous as obesity. You guys, so many people nowadays feel socially isolated and they feel lonely and they feel like they don't have a real sense of connection. And this is not a joke. This is not just people complaining. This is having a huge impact on real health outcomes and going on Instagram and social media is not the same thing as being social in real life. We need real life in-person connections. We need that hit of oxytocin. And I think this is just such an important health issue and I'm really glad she touched on it. And people shrug aside the effects of stress and loneliness, but those are the most important. If you have everything dialed in, if you have, I mean, I talked about this before, Your nutrition, your exercise can be on point, but you can still be very sick and very unhealthy if you have not cultivated positive relationships in your life, if you don't feel a sense of purpose, if you are stuck in your room on social media all day long, you're never going to get where you want to go. So it was a really, really great talk. Loved that one. Okay, the next talk that I heard was with Julia Ross. And this one was called, what was this? Retrieving our lost appetite guidance system with Julia Ross. If you guys are not familiar with Julia Ross, she wrote the book, The Mood Cure is probably what she's best known for. She also wrote the book, The Diet Cure and recently The Craving Cure. But The the Mood Cure was actually a huge book for me um, because I use amino acid therapy with a lot of my clients because I work with a lot of clients who struggle with depression and or anxiety and same with me myself and I used amino acid therapy as well when I wasn't um, tolerating SSRIs and basically learned all about amino acid therapy from her book The Mood Cure so if you're interested in that definitely check that book out. I haven't read The Craving Cure yet but I feel like it was probably very similar to what she talked about in this little talk and She basically was going over how the brain is what's controlling our appetite and our brains grew because we had access to meat. Eating animal products is what allowed our brains to grow and animal products, proteins have really important amino acids that are precursors to neurotransmitters that regulate our mood and appetite. So we're looking at things like serotonin, endorphins, dopamine, GABA. She said that 60% of the U.S. population is actually addicted to food. I mean, I think if you look at a magazine, you know that a lot of people struggle with cravings. It seems to be the number one question on people's minds, or I guess I shouldn't say number one. A big one, though, how do I get rid of my cravings? So she was talking about how the appetite regulators in our brains are dependent on these amino acids. We have to have enough of these different amino acids to make sure we're not craving food 
during the day. She started off before getting into the amino acids by talking about the foods that we should eliminate that can throw off your appetite signaling. So high levels of fructose, sucrose, refined starch, chocolate, gluten, casein, fats, salt, caffeine, cannabis, artificial sweeteners. And going back to the fats and salt, she noted with those like we need healthy fats and enough high quality sea salt. But when you're looking at like iodized table salt and these unhealthy trans fats, then that's a different story. All of these ingredients are designed to make us crave and make us want more. She talked a lot about gluten and I've talked about that a lot before and how we see the addictive properties, especially of wheat. Gluten contains gluteomorphin, which related to morphine has addictive properties. And she was talking about how amino acid therapy has actually been used to help stop addiction to cocaine and alcohol as well. So of course it can help with food addiction. And she went through the different types of cravers. So there are people who are anxious and depressed cravers, people who have hypoglycemic swings and that makes them crave things. So we see this with diabetics. We also have people who are fatigued cravers. So when they're really tired, they are looking for some food to fill that void. We also have comfort cravers who have low endorphins and they crave food to try and fill that comfort void. So she went through the different amino acids and um, protocols to utilize with clients. I'm sure if you got her book, The Craving Cure, it would all be in there. <laughs> um, it was very similar to, I mean, the mood cure, like it's very similar. Amino acid therapy honestly isn't too complicated um, once you know what you're doing. So if you are a practitioner, I really recommend learning about amino acid therapy because it's really powerful um, or even for yourself. So, you know, we're looking at things like GABA, tyrosine, glutamine, L-theanine, 5-HTP, tryptophan. Um, those can all help in different ways, but she outlines doses and exactly how to do it, which, like I said, I'm sure is in her book. So that was a Julia Ross chat. Um, and then we moved on to Dr. Diane Ginsburg. Her talk was called The Key to Longevity Lies in the Microbiome. I really loved her chat. She was just super entertaining. So she was talking about how stability lies in the system as a whole and not our individual genes. So if we can get our entire system working properly, we are in good shape. We want overall healthy cells, not just, you know, if a few genes are off and we are at a disadvantage because of that, we have to just pivot a little bit to make sure our whole system gets back on track. So she talked a lot about methylation and how this is linked to our intestinal immune system. She was talking about making sure we have plenty of glutathione to aid in detoxification, to help fight against free radicals, getting plenty of choline to support our cell membranes. And she was also talking about a number of different longevity genes and how we can optimize those. In terms of supporting methylation, in terms of diet, she talked a lot about, you know, green leafy vegetables, colorful vegetables in the diet, and how we really want to make sure our microbiome is diverse, and that will help it to function optimally. And just this idea of methylation as the key to longevity, she was saying that every single person who's on birth control needs to be 
on methylfolate and also same with anybody on a statin and doing everything you can to support that microbiome diversity. So like I said, getting in as many leafy greens as possible, but also rotating your plants. So this comes back to the importance of rotating your vegetables. And then she was discussing the importance of short chain fatty acids. So we know about butyrate in the large intestine help to keep the gut intact. So we want to make sure we get enough butyrate. And she also was talking about how the production of short chain fatty acids actually goes down as you age, which is why it's really important to pay attention to that as well as the links between weight gain and low diversity in the microbiome. Again, this is why a good probiotic is key. Making sure we get enough cholesterol in the diet because that is the backbone of our hormones. We need cholesterol to make healthy hormones. And she talked a lot about different estrogens in the body and how to support the production of healthy sex hormones. Again, going back to getting sufficient cholesterol in the diet and supporting detoxification in general. And just talking all about our telomeres and how preserving telomeres is what maximizes life and minimizes disease. This is our internal marker of aging. And in terms of how do I shorten my telomeres or make them shorten less quickly, um, avoiding smoking, getting enough exercise, other things that can shorten the telomeres include obesity, environmental factors, an unhealthy diet, oxidative stress, not getting enough sleep. So to keep the telomeres as long as possible, we want a lot of gut diversity, we want to exercise, we want to sleep, nutrient-dense diet, all of that. And in terms of supplementation, she recommended making sure you get enough butyrate, a good probiotic, potentially glutathione, 5-HTP, and all of those lifestyle factors I already mentioned. So that was that talk. Then we moved into Dr. Leslie Korn, the Good Mood Kitchen, Advanced Nutrition for Mood and Cognitive Performance. Loved it. She started off with something really interesting. So she pulls up a slide that says endocannabinoid deficiency syndrome. And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me talk about the endocannabinoid system. And the idea is that all humans have an underlying endocannabinoid tone. And when endocannabinoid tone decreases, we see pathophysiological syndromes and the mood implications of this include PTSD, bipolar, fibromyalgia, migraines, so on and so forth. And she was saying that most people who are struggling with mental health disorder have this endocannabinoid system deficiency. So they need to work on their endocannabinoid receptors. And I mean, just another vote for why you should (laughs) buy Ned Full Spectrum Hemp Oil, you know, gotta, gotta activate that ECS. My discount code wellness will get you 15% off to support that endocannabinoid system at helloned.com. Shameless plug, but I am serious. So I really liked this talk because she kind of just gave a ton of recommendations about things you can do to support your mood, obviously, and a ton of different supplements, dietary recommendations. So Let's see. Well, first of all, she talked a lot about sleep and the importance of getting enough sleep, which is very helpful and how we really want to decrease our cortisol and put it in a healthy range because so many people have really high levels of cortisol. She talked a bit about kava. So you might know about 
kava as a supplement or kava tea to really help you wind down and reduce cortisol during the night. It can be pretty, can be pretty strong. Um, and let's see, herbs for insomnia, looking at things like valerian root, passionflower, um, like nature's Valium, <laughs> um, licorice root can help to regulate the HBA axis. It's also an antiviral. You have to be careful with this one though, because it can be stimulating. I know many people who it's, they can't have it later than like 12 PM cause it'll keep them up. So it can go either way with that one. She also talked a bit about, um, anxiety and its relation to blood pH and how, Many people who are vegan or vegetarians, they have an over-alkaline system and it can lead to anxiety, hyperventilation, headaches, neck pain. So the treatment for that would be to increase the acidity in the diet, which means increasing animal proteins, which kind of also relates back to what Julie Ross is talking about with the amino acids. We really need animal products to even things out. So she was recommending things like bone broth specifically for the glycine content. That's definitely a superfood. And the importance of reducing caffeine and sugar if you struggle with anxiety. Other things that can help, make sure you're taking a B-complex, magnesium, probiotics, prebiotics. She mentioned cold showers on your spine that can help. Um, and then the kava, like I mentioned, also L-theanine can be a great one as well. She also went into different amino acids and she talked about something called Ramon seeds. It was called Cafe de Capomo and basically you see this in Ticino and it's a tropical nut from Mexico and it's really rich in amino acids and helps to boost your mood. And so obviously as soon as she talked about this, I went on Amazon and purchased some organic Ramon seeds <laughs> and I'm literally drinking it right now. You brew it like coffee or like tea and it has kind of like a chocolatey coffee-like taste, but she said it's really rich in amino acids and I think it tastes delicious. And I literally just went online. Hold on, let me see what it's called, what I bought. Okay, it's from this company called Worldwide Botanicals. I got on Amazon and it just says organic Ramon seeds, dark roast, aka Capomo, Maya nut, bread nut. I don't know, but all I know is it tastes good and she says it's high in amino acids and helps to boost your mood. Um, so I'm here for it. <laughs> and like I mentioned, if you've heard of Ticino, um, they use this, they use the, the Ramon seeds in there as well. So this is my new product find. You heard it here first. Actually, you heard it at the NT conference first, but I'm going to make it trendy. So grab yourself a cup of Ramon seeds and just enjoy. You're welcome. And then some other things she mentioned, she got into odors and autonomic function. So talking about how specific scents can create certain effects on our neuropsychological and autonomic function. So she gave the examples of how lemon essential oil can reliably produce a positive mood. Lavender essential oil can bring down our autonomic arousal. So calming down at the end of the night. This is why essential oils are so amazing if you're not on the doTERRA train, hit me up. I will help you out with your essential oils, but these are all natural plant medicines that really produce some great effects in the body and can be helped to naturally 
um, support our mood in the direction we want to be supported in. So citrus oils in general are great for uplifting the mood. So lemon, wild orange, lime, and scents like lavender, chamomile are great for winding down at the end of the day and relieving stress. In terms of diet, she was talking about the importance of getting in plenty of healthy fats. She and a few others really were nailing in the importance of hemp oil. Um, also talking about evening primrose oil, that these aren't always utilized as often as they should be. And just getting enough GLAs in general. She also talked about this as the connection with um, acne. So GLA, increasing your GLA consumption um, can really help with acne and mood issues. So we see this with depression as well. Um, she was talking about, let's see, increasing egg consumption, liver consumption, glandulars can help, ginkgo can help, but it's important to watch out with that one because some people can get a headache. So all those little ideas. Then we went to a discussion of Alzheimer's as diabetes type 3 and how we see inflammation and insulin resistance connected with cognitive decline and how this is also linked to toxic accumulations in the brain and body and then moving into a discussion of the apoe4 gene and how some people might not do well with a lot of saturated fat in their diet it just depends how there's so there's three different alleles of the apoe gene so we have e2 e3 e4 e3 is the most common um but, you know, if you have the APOE4 gene, then you're best off reducing the saturated fat content of your diet. So that can be something beneficial to check with genetic testing. So those were kind of all the main points from Dr. Leslie Korn. Loved her. And then last but not least for that day, we had Dr. Jack Wolfson who is a cardiologist, and he wrote the book, The Paleocardiologist, which is actually a book that I refer to so many people, um, specifically everyone who is one of my mom's friends. <laughs> they always ask me about this, and they never want to hear me when I give the paleo recommendation. So rather than try and get someone to hear me who doesn't want to hear me, I just recommend a book. And he lays it all out there. He also hosts the podcast, The Healthy Heart Show, if you want to listen to that. But he talked a lot about cholesterol, of course, and how total cholesterol is really a poor marker of your health and what your cholesterol level should be like. We were talking all about, you know, how the cholesterol hypothesis is wrong and healthy fats are not clogging your arteries that dietary cholesterol is important and healthy fats are incredibly important he talks about his food pyramid and how it's really important to get high quality animal proteins plenty of vegetables and lots of olive oil avocados coconuts olives and that quality really matters and he was just really um pushing for the paleo argument and just saying it just makes sense like of course we should be eating the way our ancestors ate the way we evolved to eat and reducing everything inflammatory and I mean he makes really good points and I feel like I mean I don't have to be convinced but it's just funny because when people argue against paleo and I'm just thinking what are you like what is there to argue against like it's very confusing to me why anyone would say that we shouldn't eat in a paleolithic way um he was just saying he was saying he was like paleo literally means it's the original 
diet, its original way of eating. So why would we not fall back on that when we are consuming so much processed crap? But again, he was really emphasizing quality and how organic is so important. That was a really big theme of the conference, how important going organic is as much as you can because you could be eating healthy foods, but basically having poison on the food, which is not helping you out. And then just driving home the point, you know, that dietary cholesterol has no link to cardiovascular disease, strokes, saturated fat intake is not related to increased risk of other diseases. And I mean, breast milk has saturated fat in it. So does it really make sense that we should all be on a no fat diet if breast milk has it? No, that makes no sense. And just how paleo in general lowers inflammation. He talked, you know, a bit about HDL and how higher saturated fat means a higher HDL, which is a good thing. And eggs can help to raise your HDL. So can sunshine. Even getting plenty of high quality sleep can improve your cholesterol. He's really big on circadian rhythm and that we really should be waking up with the sun and going to bed when the sun goes down. He said that he that kids should be in bed at 7 p.m. No questions asked because of the brain damage that happens when we are exposed to artificial light. So that was interesting. He also talked a lot about how air pollution is related to cholesterol. Um, and that was something I hadn't thought about before, but just looking at our environmental triggers of unhealthy cholesterol levels. And then, of course, stress. Stress is linked with leaky gut. This will activate the immune system and lead to inflammation, oxidative stress throughout the body. He talked about something called that he called leaky heart syndrome. So the lining of the blood vessels is similar to the lining of the intestines. So our, our heart can get leaky because of those leaky blood vessels from inflammation the same way we develop leaky gut. And this can lead to a leaky brain. It's literally like your body is leaking things and then everything goes everywhere. And then we see inflammation. Dr. Wolfson said cardiovascular disease is autoimmune in nature. And this is why it's so important to address leaky gut if you want to address cardiovascular disease, which was very interesting. And he was giving some data on statins um, and showing how statin drugs actually didn't save any lives in a bunch of studies. They had the same outcomes as those who were in the placebo group. And even some studies showing that stroke rates were higher in statin groups than those not on statins and even cancer death rates were higher in some studies, which was interesting. In terms of natural supplementation, talking about things like beetroot, B vitamins, berberine, those are all things to look into. So that was the end of day one. It was a long day. And then we moved into day two. We started off with Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, who is always an incredible speaker and the talk she gave was very similar to the talk I heard her give at Paleo FX last year. So if you listen to my Paleo FX recap episode, that will really go far into depth. But basically, she was saying that the diversity of our gut health is everything. So the gut microbiome is the root of human health. She's all about the gut right now. And diversity is the number one feature of a healthy microbiome. That will allow us to turn on and off certain genes, control the immune system. We can actually produce nutrients like short-chain fatty acids when we have a healthy microbiome. And our number one goal should be to have as many species as possible. 
she was talking about how a lot of species are hated on, but it's not just a black and white picture of as good or bad. So she was talking about, for example, E. coli, we think of as this horrible thing, but they're actually beneficial types of E. coli. That being said, every chronic illness has been linked to some type of gut dysbiosis. So it's really just about getting the correct balance. So you really want to get the gut flora in balance. Dr. Ballantyne, you know this if you follow her at all, she is big on fiber and how the fermentation of fiber is going to produce short-chain fatty acids, which can help to fuel all of our cells. And fiber can help to eliminate toxins, regulate hormones, so many different types of fiber and benefits. She talked about the different types like soluble fiber, insoluble fiber, but also that we have cellulose and pectin and lignans and chitin i don't even know if that's how you pronounce it but so many different types of fiber beyond just soluble and insoluble so she went in depth about how we get these different fibers she talked a bit about gums so things like guar gum xanthan gum carrageenan and just the idea that these gums can be they can cause issues in some contexts but then you can get the same gum from a plant source and it can actually help to support healthy bacteria so when it's an isolated thing like we see in these food products it's going to mess up our system but when it's naturally occurring um that's a, that's a different story and then she talked about beta glucans and how we get we get those from fungi and some seaweed she was really all about um, mushrooms and how mushrooms are so important for a healthy gut microbiome, how these are anti-cancer, anti-inflammatory, helps prevent diabetes, those things. And then talking about the importance of foods like aloe, seaweed, algae, flax, and chia psyllium for their mucilogenic effects. And we can get this type of fiber from things like plantains, green bananas, taro, cassava, but when it comes to a lot of these types of fiber, it's all about the dose. So a high intake can actually feed pathogenic bacteria, but at a lower dose, it can help to feed the beneficial bacteria. And again, bringing it back to fiber supplements, for instance, and how you really don't want to be taking these fibers in isolation. So she was talking about inulin fiber, for example, like we really want to include foods in our diet that contain inulin, but when you're taking that fiber out and it's just an isolated thing, that is stretching out the gut and making the gut microbiome out of balance. We want to stick with whole food sources, our cruciferous vegetables, our onions, our garlic, our root vegetables, um, where it's found in nature. And then talking about the benefits of resistant starch. So there are different resistant starches. She was talking about R2 and R3. So we get R2 from green bananas, green plantains, and then your R3 from cooked and cool potatoes. So what's interesting is that when you cook a potato, the molecules kind of unravel and then they gel up again. And it never returns the type of starch it originally was. It becomes... R3 type of starch and doesn't go back to R2. Um, oh, and then R1 is like nuts and seeds. Sorry, I skipped over that. I was so excited about the cooked and cooled potatoes and rice. Um, so those types of resistant starches can help to feed the beneficial bacteria in our guts. She also talked about how vitamin D deficiency is linked with increased pathogens in the gut. And then we talked a bit about protein, which I really enjoyed this topic because she was talking about how a lot of people um, don't realize that 
protein intake can really support the health of our gut microbiome. So she was going in and talking about the different types of protein. Fish protein gives us the highest diversity, followed by chicken and beef and pork, and then soy was the lowest. And also how pea protein is uniquely beneficial for the microbiome, which is something I've been looking into. Recently, I found studies because ever since I started eating Newsus protein powder, I was like, why is pea protein doing so well with me? Um, and I found all these studies about how pea protein can actually be really beneficial for the gut. And yeah, interesting. And then moving into how fat intake affects gut bacteria. So you want to make sure you are getting a variety of fats. You're getting plenty of omega-3s, fish oils, um, not too many omega-6s of the unhealthy inflammatory omega-6s, plenty of monounsaturated fat. She's big on monounsaturated fats like extra virgin olive oil and really to increase those. And then you can get your CLA from grass-fed beef, dairy products. Sarah Valentine is one who talks a lot about endotoxins and avoiding those. So avoiding alcohol, a really high saturated fat intake, and she mentioned egg whites and just really utilizing fermented foods to build up a good gut microbiome, soil-based organisms. Everyone's all about the soil-based organisms. Plenty of cruciferous vegetables, root vegetables, lettuces, berries, mushrooms. She talks a lot about nuts, walnuts in particular, pistachios, almonds, chestnuts, chocolate, and cacao having a really beneficial effect on the gut microbiome. Also honey, um, green and black tea, extra virgin olive oil, fish, shellfish, insects, and then avoiding things like alcohol, gluten, high salt intake, glyphosate, smoking, metals, sleep, overtraining, chronic stress, chlorinated and fluoridated water, smoking, did I say that? Anti-diabetic drugs, antacids, antibiotics, industrial pollutants like PCBs, PCDFs, all of these things are really causing gut health issues and we want to incorporate stress relieving techniques like meditation and yoga and that can have a huge beneficial effect on the gut as well as plenty of sleep. So she talked a lot about how fragmented sleep can really hurt the gut microbiome and actually negatively impact metabolism. And even just how circadian rhythm disruption can do the same thing. So here were her final recommendations for the keys to gut microbiome health. Avoiding food compounds and medications that feed gut dysbiosis, which I just went over, a nutrient-dense diet, consuming at least 25 grams of fiber a day from eight or more servings of vegetables and fruit, increasing the variety of plant foods, balancing your omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid intake, avoiding excessive saturated fat intake. She said that hunter-gatherer levels are 10 to 15%. Testing your vitamin D status and supplementing accordingly, consuming a wide variety of fermented foods, increasing exposure to organic soil, getting adequate sleep and maintaining a predictable sleep-wake cycle, reducing stressors and increasing resilience to stress and avoiding being sedentary and also avoiding overtraining. So hopefully that helped. A lot of useful information in there. Okay, then there are a few breakout sessions. So everybody saw different sessions. The first one I went to was how to solve virtually any digestive problem with Dr. Stephen Cassian. Or maybe it's Stefan. I don't know, but to be quite honest, 
I did not get much out of this talk. Um, what I pulled from this was that people should take digestive enzymes, people should stay hydrated, eat a nutrient-dense diet, and consume high-quality probiotics. And also a lot of people have low stomach acid, and low stomach acid is basically the main cause of most gut issues. So, in sum, didn't really learn anything new from that. He just talked about, you know, utilize apple cider vinegar with meals as a digestive aid, drink warm water throughout the day, nothing too cold, eliminate artificial sweeteners. If HCL is stuck really low, then you might need some hydrochloric acid supplementation. Yeah, I think we've gone over all this. So that's kind of all I pulled from that one. Um, let's move on to Diana Rogers, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with from Sustainable Dish. She was on Straight Up Paleo podcast. If you haven't heard that episode yet, go to straightuppaleo.com and check out that episode. But her talk was called The Nutritional Environment and Ethical Case for Regenerative Agriculture. And I mean, if you're familiar with Diana Rogers, you know that she is all about making a case for high quality, humanely raised animal proteins. And she's been working on a film, Sacred Cow, as an answer to the catastrophe that was what the health. <laughs> um, so if you want to donate to that film, because it's kind of at a standstill because she's trying to raise funds, um, you can go to sustainabledish.com slash film. I really, really recommend donating to it. I have, it's important to me because um, I want a film like that made so that people can get a better, a more well-rounded perspective on the importance of animal products for our environment, not only our health. So, she, you know, she went into the RDA's recommendation for protein consumption and just how it's really low. It's also based on weight averages that are just not representative of the typical American. So she she recommends with all of her clients, they start at 100 grams of protein a day and then work up from there if they need to. And the RDA recommendations are as low as 46 grams a day for women, 56 grams a day for men. And this is just too low. We know that increasing protein consumption can really help with anybody who has a chronic disease, who is looking for weight loss, who lives a high-stress lifestyle, who has blood sugar issues, and also for any athletes. And she recommends having 25 to 30% of your daily energy intake from protein. So this could be closer to 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight versus the 0.8 grams per kilogram that the RDA recommends. And of course, this leads into the discussion of what Americans are eating and why diabetes is on the rise and why we have an obesity epidemic and just this whole idea of all the hyperpalatable foods that are so commonly consumed in America. Because when people are given such low protein intake, what are they eating more of? They're eating more carbohydrates, they're eating more fats, usually unhealthy fats, and all of these hyperpalatable foods they just can't control, and then it's leading to all of these different types of disease. And this also went into the discussion of like moderating versus abstaining, and 
you can't tell somebody to moderate hyperpalatable foods. They're literally designed to be hyperpalatable so that you can't stop eating them. And then she also explained the whole environmental impact of what would happen if we didn't raise cattle. So actually, she said that it's estimated there are only 60 years of farming left if the soil degradation continues the way it has been. If all the cows die, then all the grass dies and we are screwed. We need biodiversity. We need a six inch topsoil. We need rain. We need all different types of animals. We need predators and prey um, to make this work. She also talked about the difference between even types of humanely raised animals. um, So like well-managed grass-fed beef versus just one big large field with a lot of animals roaming across. She talks about how beneficial it can be to kind of move the herd along strategically because mob grazing mimics nature. And then some of the other arguments are, you know, lab meat actually takes more energy to produce than raising cattle on grass. And when people are arguing against, you know, killing animals, you have to realize that no matter what, animals are dying and you're destroying a whole ecosystem when you are clearing land for crops and talking about even she was saying how even the Dalai Lama says you know if we have to kill animals if all animals are equal that the grass-fed large ruminants are the way to go versus all of these other animals that will die when we are destroying their homes for crops And Diana has done a lot of research into cost effectiveness and meat is actually less expensive than other foods. So the cost argument doesn't really hold up. And I really recommend you look into more of her work. Listen to our podcast with her. She has a podcast as well all about these topics. So just go to sustainabledish.com and you can find more from her there. Okay, next up, Brian Hoyer, who if you don't know him, he's an NTP who specializes in EMFs. So he kind of talked about his journey going along, going into different people's homes and optimizing healing environments amidst all of these technologies of convenience, so to speak. So EMFs is a really hot topic. And he's talking about how we need an ancestral environment to thrive and how so many people have these health issues, these chronic health issues they can't turn around and they don't realize that it's their environment, it's this technology that is limiting them from healing. To start off with, we are very disconnected with Earth. You know, I talk a lot about grounding and the benefits of grounding. And we, you know, stand on the Earth in rubber soles on our shoes. Our houses are off the ground. We're barely in nature. And we need to be connecting with nature to get those negative ions that help balance out our bodies versus being just overthrown with all these positive ions. And this is impacting our health in a negative way. And then looking at EMFs, as a biophysical stressor. It's stressing your nervous system. So people talk about EMFs like it's a toxin, but they're not really toxins. They are stressors on the body. So it's this constant underlying stressor that's negatively impacting your health, the same way any other stressor would impact your health. And there are different types of EMFs. He talks about wireless radiation, your cell phone, your Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. There's electric fields from the house wiring. We have magnetic fields from power lines and plumbing. We also have artificial light affecting us. He talks a lot about blue light. 
And just this whole idea that we have had an influx of man-made EMFs in recent years, and I think a lot of people just don't really understand all of the effects these could have. So he talked about all of the different effects of these man-made EMFs, including non-thermal, non-native, and non-ionizing radiation. So how do these work? I've talked about this before on the podcast, but we know that these act via the stimulation of the voltage-gated ion channels. And these EMFs can damage your mitochondria by causing free radical proliferation, also causing leaky gut and a leaky blood-brain barrier. They also disrupt melatonin production, lower dopamine, which is linked with depression, prevents proper detoxification, and we know that detox is so important for our health. EMFs can also cause fatigue, they can induce headaches and migraines, they can cause infertility. We also see symptoms of tinnitus, ringing or buzzing in the ears, also increased risk of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. But really the issue with EMFs is that our exposure is really a gateway to all chronic disease because of the brain and gut permeability and inflammation that they cause. And I want to read something that he had up there. So it says, the bio-initiative report, which is 610 pages long, has been prepared by a group of independent scientists after thorough and very careful survey of the literature. And they concluded that the existing standards for public safety are inadequate to protect public health and needs to be revised. The bio-initiative report can be viewed at www.bio.org bioinitiative.org slash report slash docs slash report dot pdf if you want to read it there and then this quote stuck out to me it says a single two-hour exposure to a cell phone just once during its lifetime permanently damaged the blood brain barrier and on autopsy 50 days later was found to have damaged or destroyed up to two percent of an animal's brain cells including 13 cells in areas of the brain concerned with learning memory and movement It is known that this barrier is damaged in Parkinson's disease and in Alzheimer's dementia. So there is a risk that disruption of this protection barrier may damage the brain. In fact, similar mechanisms protect the eye and the fetus, and the work of Alan Frey and others indicates that microwave radiation damages these barriers also. The implication? Pregnant women and their babies are extremely susceptible to the negative effects of high-frequency radiation from wireless technology. So that's a lot, I know, but it's incredibly important. Um, He was talking about most of the wireless exposure we're getting is from outside of the home. Um, And when he is looking to measure how he can help people reduce their EMF exposure, he measures their body, not their home. Because you want to see what the individual is picking up on. Um, He's also talking about seeing a lot of magnesium deficiency because of EMF stress. And again... EMFs as a main cause of leaky gut. Another interesting thing related to the artificial light exposure is he was talking about how two-thirds of our ATP production is actually from light and then one-third is from food. So our cells are actually eating light. Our mitochondria are eating light. And so when we are exposed to artificial light and it's eating that, this is how we're destroying our mitochondria, which is super interesting to me. So I love this talk. I think that EMFs is something that a lot of us are almost afraid to bring up because it's like, okay, we live in this world where we can't really avoid them, so what do we do? And sometimes when the problem seems so vast, it's easier just to ignore, pretend like it's not there and focus on what we can change, like food, that's an easy target. But we can't just be blind to all of the negative effects that EMS are having. We need to have a real conversation about it because they're causing health issues and we can't just let it go on forever without saying anything. 
But in the meantime, he was talking about different techniques he uses um, to help people reduce their EMF exposure. And there are things like shielding fabrics that you can use. Obviously, the blue light blocking glasses. There are materials you can build your house with. He was talking about going like... I forget if he said his house or he was going into a completely shielded home. And I don't know. It just makes me think it's like... Like, we live in a world where really to be safe from all of this that we've created, um, you have to, like, live in a box. And that's just unrealistic for most people. But I just still think it's it's important to learn about and recognize the effects that these EMFs are having, even just little changes. Like, I think some of these people who talk about EMFs, they make you feel like, they're like, you can't have a phone anywhere in your apartment and you can turn off your Wi-Fi. And, like, that's all great advice. But obviously... I'm a regular person. I'm going to have my phone near me. It's part of my job. So the little changes you can make, I just recommend making like, I don't want to sleep with my phone near my head anymore. I turn my phone on airplane mode while I sleep. Take out as much technology out of your bedroom as possible. Wear your blue blockers, all those little things, like every little bit helps. And if you're struggling with chronic health issues, also do check into your home though where you're living or where you're spending most of your time the same way like with mold like if you're living with a moldy home like if you're living in an emf heavy home and you're somebody who's particularly sensitive to emfs because certain people are more sensitive than others then you might want to look into how you can reduce that exposure Okay, next I went to a panel on herbalism and it's all about plant medicine. I don't have too much to say about this one. Um, just kind of going back to the idea that, you know, medicine started with plants. We have valerian root as the original form of Valium, willow bark as the original aspirin. And just the idea that assimilation in the body is easier when we're using something that's more natural. So our body responds better to, quote, medicine when it's natural forms of medicine the body knows how to incorporate versus these man-made pills that we like to toss back. And just the idea that every single culture uses a plant as therapy or as medicine. Um, they definitely brought up the vaccine issue, which I know is a hot topic and everyone wants me to discuss it and I do want to have a full episode dedicated to some vaccine information but that needs to be its own episode um but just kind of talking about how the vaccine laws make it so companies aren't liable for any potential negative effects and how you know you have to get 36 vaccines before you're in kindergarten and how now we're seeing so much heavy metals toxicity mercury toxicity um linked with this and then that's related to anxiety, autoimmunity, toxins into the brain, and having an inflamed brain is really detrimental to your health. And because we have all of these things attacking us internally, nutrition isn't always enough, and this is where we move into plant medicine. There was a really great quote. I forget who said it, but she said, you know, nutrition is just one spoke in the wheel of wellness. And I loved that quote, really resonated with me. And it's true. There are so many different different spokes in the wheel of wellness. And plants can be great because they have a different energy and we relate to them on a biological level in a way that we don't relate to things that are synthetic. 
And then in terms of plant medicine, little things like how liquids tend to be more bioavailable. We always prefer tinctures when we can have them. Um, they were talking about different types of infusions and also how you're choosing the type of plant medicine to use and how it's like developing a relationship with the plants um, and making a friend with them, being grateful. This reminded me so much of when I talked to the guys from Ned about how they source and produce their full spectrum hemp oil and how they have a whole ceremony with love and gratitude because when it comes to plant medicine, you know, I know it sounds woo-woo, but everybody who is an expert in this field talks about developing a relationship, saying thank you, asking for permission, and using your intuition to see if it feels good or not. And that's how you can kind of pick which ones to use. And they give a bunch of different examples. I mean, essential oils is a great example of plant medicine, which we know I love. And one idea that was discussed that um, really resonated with me, which was sort of unrelated to plant medicine, but just healing in general, is how this, this idea that healing sometimes is about our connection with our symptoms and we need to realize the power we have to do our own internal work. So sometimes people have an idea of what healing looks like and they think I'm healed when XYZ, these symptoms are gone, but that's not always what true healing is. Sometimes it's about changing your emotional state with what's going on with your body and then it no longer becomes a symptom because of that internal work, um, which is something I definitely have worked through myself and also helped many clients with, and many people don't realize that aspect of healing. It's not always about eliminating. Sometimes it's about readjusting. Um, so that's just that was just something that I wanted to point out. But okay, that was basically the end of day two. That night we had the banquet, which is basically like NTA prom, and the food was so freaking good. Honestly, my best meal in Portland. NTA knows how to make delicious food. There was this really good piri piri pork, I think it was called, the cauliflower. Unreal. Tahini cauliflower. I don't know what it was, but it was crack. My friend Michelle and I got multiple rounds of that because it was so good. They had roasted root veggies and green beans and what else? Really good braised collards, I think they were. I forget. There was just so much deliciousness. Some gluten-free brownies. It was amazing. So much fun. Okay, but then we move on to day three. I recognize this podcast is actually ridiculously long, so sorry, but I'm sure you're getting a lot of useful information out of it and you can always pause and come back later. But day three, we had a brunch that was very delicious with alpaca sausage, bless up, and then we started off with a panel. This one was called Raising the Bar on Our Woo Woo with facilitator Mickey Trescott from Autoimmune Wellness. I'm sure everyone who is interested in the autoimmune world knows Mickey Trescott. And then panelist Angie Alt. I'm sure you guys know Angie too. Dr. Kona Jetty, Dr. Robert Abbott, and Sarah Ballantyne. This was really just an interesting discussion in general. There's not really like key takeaways from this in terms of like here are things you can do to improve your health. But it was a really interesting discussion. And they were talking about how, you know, we see tribalism in politics. And we're kind of seeing the same thing in alternative healthcare. It's this really big movement. And they're talking all about how the medical literature really needs to catch up and adapt to new information. 
but it's hard for that to happen when so much of what we are talking about in alternative healthcare really undermines their entire message. But they talked a lot about the study that was done. I'm sure you guys have heard about this in the paleo space. It was great. The research on um, IBD using an autoimmune paleo diet. It was a really big win for those of us in the paleo space and the autoimmune community. And everyone on this panel was involved in that study, which is why they were talking about it. And, you know, we're seeing a really great integration of Western doctors' um, research and trying to incorporate more ancestral practices to see how it's affecting health. So in that study, they looked at patients with Crohn's and ulcerative colitis um, active. So they did an endoscopy that showed inflammation. So those are both flaring up. And they did a six-week elimination diet using AIP and then five-week maintenance. And what they found in this study was it actually changed DNA expression and changed the microbiome during that study. And they saw a 73% remission by week six, and that was sustained throughout maintenance. Um, And half of those people were on immunosuppressants before. And this is just really exciting because, you know, it was the first study where anyone's tried to use AIP for IBD. And it shows how big an improvement that is. Like, you don't even see that big of improvement with a lot of medication. So, you know, this is really valuable because doctors can look at this and say, okay, well, would I rather put somebody on meds or change their diet? And we see such pushback in the medical community about these alternative methods of healing and because they want to study, but studies are hard to fund and hard to do. And thankfully, this is the first the first one that is really showing the power of a healing diet, which I'm super excited about. And I know everybody else is as well. They talked a lot about how people's symptoms and concerns are dismissed by doctors and how it's really important to make sure you are not dismissed. And then another point is that AIP is only brought up 50% of the time with GIs and people are struggling um, with IBD. So it's really about empowering people to open up that conversation and get this on the radar of different gastroenterologists. Sarah Ballantyne also had an awesome discussion about um, placebo. What does placebo really mean? And people get worked up and they say, oh, it's a placebo effect, so it doesn't account. But placebo isn't inherently bad. It's just saying that the therapy is getting results because of a psychological effect rather than inherently whatever the therapy is. And she was talking about this also in terms of like crystal healing. Like, is it really the crystals or is it the psychological effect that we have um, with crystals? Because in studies, they show a clear effect. Like it clearly... I forget the details of the crystal study she was talking about, but just a study that the crystals are really showing clear positive health benefits, but it's not because of the crystal itself, it's because of the psychological effects. But does it really matter? Does it really matter why it's working or just that it's working? Because at the end of the day, we just need to get results. Um, And so that was interesting. And then she also went off about celery juice, which always is a fun conversation. She has a very in-depth podcast about celery juice which I recommend um you listen to because I know this is a hot topic um, with celery juice um but in short regarding celery juice she was talking about I mean the, the her her stance is like just eat celery there's nothing magical about celery juice um and how there's a trade-off like when you make celery juice you have 60% of the phytochemicals are discarded but then 40% of them are more easily absorbed so it's like a trade-off there at the end of the day, you're also stripping away the fiber. Um, yeah, 
basically just that it's not a miracle thing but it was a really really inspiring panel to listen to and i think it just got everybody amped up so i loved that one okay then we had Anne louise gittleman who is just a spitfire talking about radical metabolism her book and she is a freaking closer she knows how to close she was just <laughs> getting everyone to buy her book i during that speech I ordered it on Amazon because she just knows what she's doing and she just threw out so much information that I can't even I'm just going to tell you to go pick up her book Radical Metabolism but there are a few um main points she made to like revamp your metabolism first of all revamping your fats um her big point was that a lot of people are demonizing omega-6 omega-6s and it's not that they're bad but you want the correct ones she's really big into hemp seed oil and just wants everybody to consume hemp seed oil but remember not to cook in it it's for toppings and she says the ideal ratio for um omega-6 to omega-3s is four to one but we really do need plenty of healthy fats um getting in omega-6s gla clas linoleic acid alpha linolenic acid all of the different fats all of our cell membranes are built from fats. Our hormones are built from fats. We need fats as chemical messengers for communication. And in terms of omega-6s, we really do need to have enough of the right ones to be able to modulate inflammation in the body. So the big thing with her was like, eat hemp oil. <laughs> and then related to that, reboot your gallbladder. Plenty of digestive bitters. We want to support bile production. We really need healthy bile to be able to incorporate fat into our cell membranes. We need healthy bile for fat absorption and metabolism. And she was talking about how the bile is connected a lot to thyroid health. And all this research she found with gallbladder issues linked with thyroid issues. And then making sure you rebuild your muscles, get enough protein, um, four to six ounces of protein with every meal. And then focusing on repairing your gut, that's key for revamping your metabolism and reducing toxicity. We see a lot of stealth pathogens, EMFs, paying attention to what we're cooking in. She had a huge thing about what we're cooking in, which is super interesting. Um, she's saying not to cook in cast iron skillets. She sees iron as a stealth pathogen, um, and so not to cook in a cast iron skillet unless it is enameled um, but also paying attention because so much so much cookware uses lead as a glaze and so she was recommending la crusette stainless steel and then also related to you know avoiding stealth pathogens she talked a lot about water toxicity and how we see fluoride compromising thyroid function there's also uranium in the water supply avoiding aluminum that's toxic to the brain she even said to watch out for green tea because a lot of it contains fluoride and heavy metals. But she voted for um, rooibos and hibiscus tea. Those are good, apparently. Um, she also said to watch out for bone broth because a lot of bone broth brands contain lead, fluoride, and other chemicals. So to be very picky about where you're getting your bone broth, that it has to be organic. And she just suggested making your own. Again, with the EMFs, she was recommending an electronic wristband that grounds you. I haven't heard of one of those, but I need to look that up and she said that we have 30 to 50,000 more chemicals in our bodies than our grandparents did which is pretty crazy but I believe it and this is why detoxification is so important so she was talking about supporting um, methylation and paying attention if you have the MTHFR genetic mutation um, things like roasted dandelion tea NAC can be helpful liposomal glutathione 
And then, of course, supporting the gut. In terms of diet, she was talking about making sure you're getting pre and probiotics in, avoid gluten, avoid sugar. And she said to avoid lectin. She said avoid GMOs and anything toxic. Um, she is a proponent of no grains. And with the gluten, it had to do with the gut health as well as gallbladder function. So she was saying that gluten inhibits CCK, which causes the release of our bile. And then when people eliminate gluten, their bile function returns to normal. But yeah, she was just full of information, um, real spitfire. So I really loved listening to her. I recommend her book, even though I haven't read it yet. I just got it in the mail, (laughs) but she was hilarious and some interesting ideas in there. But here were her her overarching detox strategies. So she said, avoid processed food and replace it with whole organic non-GMO foods. Limit fish and seafood due to nearly universal contamination. Check out Safe Catch. Eat detoxifying foods like asparagus, Brazil nuts, cilantro, parsley, dandelion root, and other bitters. Eliminate toxic personal and home care products and replace with natural varieties. Drink fresh, pure water. Consider water and air purifiers. Get plenty of exercise, sweat more, sauna. Improve sleep hygiene, manage stress, and deal with toxic emotions. I'm down with all of that. The, the fish and seafood one, that's for another time to get into that, but detoxification is is the key to life guys okay the last talk i'm going to discuss was with chris kresser he was the final speaker i think the person everybody was most excited to hear talk and honestly chris kresser could get up there and say nothing and i would give him a standing ovation i just have so much respect for his work and everything he does so i was super excited to hear his talk and his talk was called why mastering the art of behavior change is the key to a successful practice if you guys haven't read his book unconventional medicine you really should i think everybody should read that just to kind of understand the state of healthcare right now but he was talking you know all about how we're, we're dealing a lot with chronic disease now 60 percent of americans have a chronic disease and 40 percent have multiple chronic diseases and this idea that chronic disease is really driven by our behavior and our environment not by genes and that 90 percent of what our lifespan ends up being is actually related to behavioral and environmental factors not genetics and I think that's really powerful information because it reminds us that we have more power than we think. A lot of people like to take on the victim role and just let things happen to them Um, but you have the power to change your lifestyle and your habits and your environment and make positive health outcomes for yourself. So he was talking about how there are five health habits that have been shown to increase lifespan by 13 years. So This is a healthy body weight, maintaining a healthy body weight, 30 minutes of exercise a day, no smoking, no drinking, and a healthy diet. But only 6% of Americans engage in these behaviors. Guys, come on. (laughs) Come on, America. It's so easy. You can do it. No, but so how do we get people to change these behaviors? Information isn't going to get people to change behavior. We have to change their habits. Most behaviors are rooted in habit or because people don't have support or because we are shaped by our environment or a product of our environment. Habits actually help us in terms of evolution because it helps to increase our brain's efficiency. If we're thinking about every single thing all day, we can't get as much done, our brain is cluttered. So in terms of evolution, habits were helpful, but obviously this can be at your detriment if the habit is not a good one. And he was saying that you can't eliminate a habit. You can only change it or develop a new, more powerful habit. 
You can't just get rid of it. And how do we form habits? So there's a cue in the environment, then we perform the routine, and then we get a reward, and that cycle continues over and over again. So we have this cue that's linked to a reward, and why do we form that habit? Because that's governed by dopamine in the brain, so we get that hit of dopamine when we get that reward after we perform that routine in response to the cue. And companies have gotten really good at taking advantage of this, especially when we look at technology, like checking your phone. Um, Scientists want notifications and apps to be addictive, and they, they make use of that reward response. So how can you change a habit? He was talking about this four-step process. So first you identify the routine, then you identify the reward, then you isolate the cue, and then you make a plan. So the example he used was snacking on junk food. So first you identify the behavior that you want to change. So this would be you get home from work, you open the pantry and eat a bag of chips. That's the routine. And then Two, identify the reward. So what are you looking for? Are you lonely? Are you actually hungry or are you stressed? Do you want pleasure and relief? So figuring out what that reward is and then what what would actually be the real reward? So could you swap it out for calling a friend, going on a walk, meditating, take a bath? Like what would give you that same reward that's actually positive health behavior? And then three, isolating the cue. So maybe it's a location, a certain time, a certain emotional state, a certain person, or there's an action beforehand that triggers this. So where's the pattern coming from? Is it every time you're in a certain bedroom, every time you talk to someone, or every time you see something, every certain time of night, figuring that cue out? And then making the plan. So every time you feel stressed, what are you going to do? You want to choose something that gives you the reward you're seeking, but in a healthier way. So the plan would be when I get home and I feel stressed, I will, example, take a hot bath to relieve that stress. That is your plan. That is your new habit. You have to make sure you have a powerful enough reward. And over time, you can change that habit. So that was one technique. He also talked about scheduling habits into your calendar. So like scheduling in meditation and exercise and sauna because most people won't do those activities unless it's planned, unless it is written into their schedule. And also this eliminates any future decision making that can often stop people from doing things. And even just positive reinforcement, so celebrating in some ways, like even just with your body language, like when you do something good, like pump your fist, like yell, woohoo, you know, Um, smile, laugh, do something that is a positive reinforcement, even with your body language. And then also building a chain, so talking about if you put up a calendar and every time you do something, you get to exit, exit out, mark, mark off every day or like make a list, people really thrive off of off of that, the longer the chain gets, the less likely you are to break it. People really like um, to be in a streak. And then just talking about coaching in general with people, um, he was just talking about how it's really important to remember that the client is the authority, you're not the authority. So as a coach, you want to maximize someone's own performance and help them facilitate the change, but they are the authority, you're helping them get there. And having this approach of, you know, positive psychology looking at what's working um versus taking the approach of like how can we fix what's broken i think that's where a lot of people go wrong and i mean there's a lot of conversation that whole weekend about different coaching styles um working with clients and just this idea of like meeting your client where they're at and like you're not the authority but you're in this with them and you're there to help them along the way and 
how important that client practitioner relationship is because the strength of that relationship is really going to determine how successful the outcome is. So he was talking about, you know, taking the coach approach versus the expert approach, which I think resonated with everybody in there. So it was a great talk. Always love hearing from Chris Cresser. And yeah, that was the last talk of the weekend. And we headed out after that. Well, I hung out that night, went on a walk and got cultured caveman to go. But I had so much fun at the NTA conference and always, I mean, I'm a health geek, so I love learning about all these things. And I hope you enjoyed this recap of the main points. I mean, I try to cover as much as I can, but did not even scratch the surface of all the information that was shared that weekend. I still need to like go back through it in my head and think about it. But you could also go to the NTA website and like look up the conference and look up who the speakers were and look into all of their work. It's a great way to find cool new people in the health and wellness space. Um, There's some really amazing people there and I love seeing everybody, chatting with everybody. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right, this is already way too long, so I'm just going to wrap it up here. I hope you guys enjoyed this and got something out of it. Let me know your thoughts. I want to hear it all. And I'm just going to let you go. This is going to be it for this episode, and I will talk to you again next time. Bye.